BizQuick podcast hits on the struggles and advantages of being an entrepreneur. It's for anyone who's made the commitment to burn the boats and not look back. Are you a busy entrepreneur or small business owner trying to do it all? Then this podcast is for you. Corey and Julie will take you through the details of building a strong business. Hit the subscribe button and gear up for another episode of BizQuick Podcast. Welcome to BizQuick. I'm Corey. I'm Julie. And on today's show, we have Ryle Bricker of the Excellence Podcast and of the website that is the same name as him. Um, he's out of Perth, Western Australia, and he is going to talk about being an entrepreneur, and we're going to talk about um, just his background and just everything about that. But before we go on, uh, we're gonna we're gonna cover the, uh, the the idea of keeping business simple. Sure. Before we do that, though. I feel like I owe you an apology and we owe our listeners an explanation. I'm sure some people have picked up on the fact that whenever it's a difficult name, I make you do the intro. Yes. <laughs> so, um, I, I am the more adventurous one of the two. Oh, are you though? Yes. You think so? Yes. Is that your way of saying I'm boring? Yes. Oh, that's hurtful. <laughs> I'm not boring. Um, I, I don't have, I can't do good voice stuff. Like, I mean, I could be a, I could do, I could read a book, right? I could be like on Audible as a book narrator. Is that what it's called? Um, But I can't, you know, like I can't roll my R's. I can't, I don't have good fake accents. Like I'm not good at any of those things. I just don't have that skill. I can whistle really loud, but I can't do any of those like things, right? And let's, let's face it. One of my most embarrassing moments in junior high was asking what an echo was when the word was echo. So maybe when it comes to the linguistics, I'm not as adventurous as you are. But anyway, you always take those hard names. And I appreciate that. Well, and to be fair, we did have to look up Ryle. Well, I was going to ask you, do you, what are the chances you're actually pronouncing it correctly? Rail. Rail? Rail. Rail. I don't know. We'll, <laughs> we always find out. <laughs> Yes, but I appreciate the fact that you always take them on. And that is the reason why the complicated ones come from you, because, well, maybe you are linguistically more adventurous than I am. There you go. Yeah. All right. So we want to talk about being less complicated, simplifying your business. Okay. I thought you meant complicated as a person. Yes. Just business. Okay. This isn't a therapy session. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Correct. Um, And I always think about it when, so like when it comes to what we do, because we're, we're just as guilty of it as, as like anybody else. And it's, it's easy when you are creating a list of services or a list of products or whatever you're trying to, you're trying to cast the widest net that you can. You mm-hmm. want to make sure that you're getting every sale that you can hitting all the markets that you possibly can. But then at a point it becomes too complicated and then you've got a menu the size of the Cheesecake Factory. Ooh, that's the worst yeah. menu in the world. And so that's that's the thing that businesses need to just, like it's so tempting to, to add and add and add, but at a point you're just making things more complicated than they need to be. Right, and not just with like services or products, right? Um, also... Just with the things that you're you want to do in your business regularly, like you know you want to be on 
every social media channel. And sometimes that just doesn't make sense. There's just not enough hours in the day to do the actual work and, you know, be on all the social media channels and, you know, have a podcast and, you know, write blogs every week and or every day. And there's just a lot of different things and you got to figure out where can you simplify in order to provide the best possible services for your ideal client. Yeah, like I'm, I'm thinking back to, um, I don't even remember what it was that we were offering, but we, we were, when we first started dabbling in sales funnels a while ago and like email marketing and, and all of that type of stuff, not so much sales funnels, but like, um, you know, uh, when somebody, if they click on this, they get this email. If they don't click within three days, they get this email. Oh you know, my like, God, that was after we first sold, were selling, I think it was Time Bomb, and if they took the assessment... Then we had this entire freaking like, um, you know, email campaign, nurture campaign developed. And then we're both like, I hate getting emails. Why are we doing this? It was even before the time bomb. Oh, it, it was. Yeah, it was something else. But re- oh, okay. That doesn't matter because that's not, that the, that doesn't. That is not the point. That's not the point of the story. Okay. The point of the story is. Get to the point. We. We kind of, we like created the, the requirements and then I started building things out and then I had to like stop and come back to the whiteboard, literally back to the whiteboard and start drawing things out. And it was the most complicated thing that we've ever created. Yeah, that and workflow sucked. The workflow, it was huge. That's and, what she said. Yeah. And <laughs> the, 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 like when we got to the point where like, yeah, this captures 99.99% of the people who possibly... But is that worth our time? No. We, no. we like, I mean, like this, the, everybody, every possible scenario was accounted for. And it was ridiculous because we don't like that. That was not worth our time or the effort when like to capture everything. And so like we overcomplicated this process where it should have been if they don't open the email, they get another email and, you know, something else after that. Like, yeah. like, like make it as simple as possible because again, we don't want to st- we don't want to uh, like bog down people's inboxes with uh, you know a bunch of emails. We don't want to be known as that company. But also for me on the other end and you as well because I'm creating the process and like scheduling emails and you're having to write all the different content for everything. It's like no, let's stop. <laughs> let's stop. Let's rethink this. One. This is nonsense. Stop the nonsense. Yeah, that is a um, that's a that's a really good um, example of overcomplicating things and then realizing it really quickly and simplifying. Um, and I think, you know, that's one of the, one of the best things you can do in your business is look at, you know, if you just took like all of our customer touch points, right. Before we get to signing with a customer and you think where, where is all the friction and how can we make this simpler? What can we do to make it simpler for people that are interested in working with us? And generally, when you're making it simpler for your customer or your prospect, you're also making it simpler for yourself, right? And it's like, we don't need, there's, a, you know, even though we have this very distinct ideal customer, we couldn't possibly serve everybody who fits into that ideal customer bucket, right? There's just, there's not enough of us. And so we just need to be really, really good and, and have enough people, enough customers that we can, we can, um, you know, stay in business and, and do really well. But, you know, and I think we get there by being, by 
simplifying more than adding complexity. I, I also, you know, I, li I liked that theory that experts simplify false experts, also known as gurus, complexify. I know, not a word, but I still like to say it. That's that's my thought. Well, as everybody's wrapping their heads around the new word that Julie complexify. just coined. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to bring in Ryle. Rail? Rail. Rail? Yeah. We don't know. Hey, everyone. We wanted to take a quick break to tell you all about our friends over at Podmatch. It's like a dating app, but for podcasts. This is a service we use to connect with potential guests for our show, and we connect with other hosts to be a guest on theirs. If you're an aspiring podcaster, have a podcast, or have something you want to share, head on over to podmatch.com slash sign up slash bizquick, or click on the link in the show notes to get started. All right, and welcome back to the show, and welcome, Rail. We are excited to talk to you about business today. Good morning uh, from a a very cold and black Perth, Western Australia. Yeah, I think I think you might be our first Australian that we've had on the podcast. Uh, second? second, second, we had, but she was in Japan. Oh, that's correct. That is correct. We had the we had an improv person who was actually from Australia but living in Japan at the time. Um, all right. Well, we, you know, we typically start our podcast by asking our guests um, a question um, that has to do with being an entrepreneur. And um, the question that you're getting is, what's the biggest challenge of being an entrepreneur? The the biggest challenge is probably the self motivation. I mean, I know that's that you know. The, 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 we get into this imposter syndrome. You know, we have this great idea. We think that's everybody will love us, and then we get out there and go, "Oh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's not such a great idea." And that's the biggest challenge. I, I, I deal with lots of Australian entrepreneurs, a lot of small businesses, and there's that tipping point where where they're not prepared to to change the way they are, and so. The, the story on the back of my book actually says something very pointed. It says, business is not complicated. Business is simple. Just dive in and adjust your course while you're moving. And I think that's the biggest challenge is people dive in and they try and make it to the other end of the swimming pool without realizing that potentially the course they've taken in diving in is wrong. And, and it, not necessarily completely wrong i mean if you if you if you're designing a, you know a rotary phone in 2021 probably the wrong business model <laughs> but but if you if you have to tweak your business and a lot of people get so headstrong and so wedded to their ideas that they don't actually adjust their business and i think that's the biggest challenge as an entrepreneur is is the flexibility and the there is an ultimate belief in yourself, but a belief in yourself that you can change course and be successful. It's a really important part of being an entrepreneur. I agree. The the flexibility and just being able to adjust as you go. I, I, one of my favorite parts, I'm uh, opening up a restaurant this year, and one of my favorite parts of of running restaurants is being able to like just the unpredictability of it. The fact that you constantly have to think on your feet and, and go from there and you can't plan for everything. You can try to, but that's just, you know, that you're going to end up spending more time planning for things that wouldn't happen. And then the most ridiculous stuff will eventually happen that you've never thought would. So yeah, I love, I love that flexibility and, and the, the being, you know, just, just diving in, just going for it. I do too. I, I'm curious though. So you, so there's, 
there's a definite need to be flexible, flexible, right? But how about how do you guide people on finding the line between being the right amount of flexible and wanting to change too quickly and not really letting yourself settle into a plan or a course to see if it's actually going to be successful, like giving up too soon on your course of action and going, Oh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. And then eventually you're just constantly pivoting and never giving anything a chance to succeed. Okay. So that's the extreme. I mean, that's what we call the, the, the bright, shiny object syndrome. Okay. You know, and, and I've worked with people over the last few years, particularly through the pandemic, who, you know, we had a drinking game early on during COVID. And the drinking game was if anybody used the word pivot um, <laughs> or, un- or unprecedented um, with, with, within a Zoom call or, a, or, or an online meeting, they had to go and get some alcohol and drink. It didn't matter the time of day. I bet you people okay, were drunk a lot. <laughs> drunk a lot, yes. Because, but, but, but so, so I do see a lot of people who, out of desperation, um, chase the next bright, shiny object. And so, so I guess it's a fine balance between the, the person who comes out of the corporate life and, and you see them a lot and they, you know, they want to take the risks as an engineer, live, as, as an entrepreneur, live on the edge, do stuff. But they've got 27 spreadsheets, uh, you know, as you were saying, Corey, you're planning your restaurant and you're looking at all the contingencies, but you're still moving forward. The contingencies aren't stopping you. And so, you know, the, the you're saying, well, what if this happens? That's okay. But you still have a general direction in which you're moving. And so you're right, Julie, I think you have to be committed to the direction. I mean, I'll use a particular example now. In, in 2020, I ran a number of small business academies and they started out as face-to-face obviously then COVID hit and I went completely online and as soon as Perth opened up I went back to a hybrid model so I have a classroom here and I um, I had people in the classroom people online and we're running this four-month academy um, you know through this hybrid model and, and it took me a couple months of tweaking the model to get it right then came 2021 and and australia is a little different because of the island the island fortress as they call it where they basically shut the borders to try and kill COVID off in australia and it's been by and large successful when you have you know in a country of 25 million people probably a hundred or less active cases of COVID at you know in middle of 2021 so it's been successful the problem is going to be when they open the border but I made a decision to put my academies on hold for six months because suddenly there was this activity. Everyone was coming out of um, everyone was coming out of COVID. So I just put the academies on hold. And in fact, this week I've actually started redoing the artwork. Um, my graphic designer is redoing the artwork for me. We've changed the focus. We've changed the emphasis of the academy, but we haven't changed the core of the academy. And I think that's what what adjusting your course means. In other words, we know what we want to get across in that period, those four months, but we haven't, we've just changed the emphasis of how it's going to impact leadership in the new world, as opposed to when it was developed in 2016, 17, 18, which was just the traditional small business model. So that's what I mean by adjusting your course. The the core of it's the same, how we market it, how we position it, how people use the information is going to be different. 
What about those people out there who, who <clears throat> excuse me, who um, can't jump into the pool because they're either too scared to dive in or they're spending too much time planning to make it perfect that they never get started? I mean, if you, one of the guests I had on my podcast spoke about the fact that the, the, the true entrepreneurs in the world is, you know, a, a minuscule percentage of a minuscule percentage. And I think we, we see that a lot. I mean, I, as a professional speaker, you know, I'm, I'm currently president of Professional Speakers Australia in, in our state, in Western Australia. And we get a lot of visitors coming to our meetings, to our events, who say, oh, you know, I really want to become a professional speaker. But, you know, the, the fact that somebody else is paying me every, every two weeks into my bank account is probably my motivating factor not to do it. Um, I don't think entrepreneurship is motivated by money. I mean, yes, you want to be your own boss and there's a whole lot of other things around it. And what do I love about being an entrepreneur? The fact that over the last 30 years, I've actually been able to attend 99% of my kids' things at school. The fact that at, at 11 o'clock in the morning, I can turn around to my team and go, there's a, an assembly at school at 12 o'clock, I'm going to the assembly. And it, I didn't have to ask permission from anybody, but I would also also tell my staff because I think that was part of that management thing of being an entrepreneur where you want them to know your entrepreneurial spirit, but you also want to know you're not just going out for a three hour lunch with your mates. You're actually doing something, you know, but, but that's part of what made me the entrepreneur. So how does the person who's in the corporate world make the decision? Unfortunately, Google has probably made it a lot harder because you know google has answers to everything and and any idea that you go and research today i don't think you will find it's absolutely unique and i think that puts a lot of people off they actually have a good idea that would work in their local area I and mean, you you again you're opening a restaurant now restaurants by their very nature are are, are very localized are are localized to a city or a, an area if it becomes you know extremely popular and extremely whatever people may drive an hour or two to come to that restaurant for the experience but you know and and you get that around the world you get the world's top restaurants where people will travel or book you know i have a, a nephew who's who's a foodie who before COVID booked to go to the best restaurant in in italy in the whole country and he happened to be in Europe and he went to this town to the best restaurant in the town. But but that's unique in that in that space. And so everybody gets put off, I think, by saying, Oh, here's yeah, somebody in 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 New York is doing this, so I can't do it in Sydney, Australia. Well, that's not true. I I, I think it, it does require a leap of faith, you know. Um, it does require you to to have faith in yourself. And we all suffer from imposter syndrome. You know, 30 years later as a professional and now as a professional speaker, I still suffer from imposter syndrome all the time. I look at things and I go, do I really think that people want to hear what I have to say? You know, why do people actually come to my financial services group 20 years and $3 billion later? Why do they still come to us? when there are 16,000 other competitors in Australia, you still question those things every day, week and month, but you just got to, you, you've got to jump off the cliff. You know, um, 
you, you've got to jump off the cliff, but with the with the guide ropes and the parachute. And I think I think the 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 average person doesn't think about the parachute and the guide ropes. They just see themselves on the edge of the cliff. And if you stand on the edge of the cliff, it's a long way down. But if you do have some safety ropes behind you, it's not too bad. And that that idea of Google scaring people away when I was. Uh, a couple of years ago when I was looking to get back in the restaurant industry and I came up with this concept just independently and I was traveling for work and I was in LA and I walked into this place just doing some research on my own and it was almost the exact cop, like the exact concept that I had in my head that somebody had created already in LA and I'm telling friends about it and everybody's like, oh, well, you know, it's in LA and I'm like, no, I'm not like afraid. I'm not scared. Like this is a proof of concept. This is a great, great news. Like there's somebody out there who's doing this and they're successful. So, you know, the, like for me being in, on the other side of the country, it was, the, I, I appreciated the fact that I wasn't the first to market because there was somebody out there who already took that jump and, and was doing it. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's entrepreneurs often or, or want to be entrepreneurs. They either get so focused on themselves. So I'll, I'll use a particular example in the Academy. I talk about, the traditional market positioning and understanding your market position. Okay. And you, you have a two by two matrix and you, you say on what areas do I compete or will I compete in my business? So I had someone on my Academy who was running an, a, a, an up a, a top end woman's um, clinic, um, facial clinics, so facials and, and things, but using very, very, high-end product, not a beauty salon, not doing traditional beauty work, really, and focused on women over the age of 50. So, so really, the aging and, 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 and aging well and aging gracefully or gratefully, as she called it, okay? And we sat down and we, I said to her in the, in the course, I said, do you mind if we use your example on the academy? And so we said, what area, how do you position yourself? And she said, oh, you know, excellent product. So she was competing on quality. And I said, do you compete on price? And she said, no, because I charge a premium because I've got premium products. And then I said, great. So now we know what your, you know, you're a premium service. You're not a, a local cheap service. Uh, you know, you know, you come in, you don't know who's going to give you the facial today. It could be an apprentice and it could be an experienced person. You're going up market. She said, yep. I said, great. I said, so who are your competitors? she said, oh, I don't have any. <laughs> okay. All right. And I went, well, she said, what? I said, what do you mean? She said, oh, no, my product that I bring in from Europe is a unique product for, for women to help them age gracefully. And I said, okay. But, you know, the, that's okay. That's your positioning. But what about the upmarket hotel, the, uh, the you know, um, the, the 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 major hotel chains that we have here all have these upmarket spas in the hotel. Now, you don't have a personal relationship with the therapist because the therapist is changing and moving every time. But is that not a competitor? She said, well, yeah, but they don't use the same product I'm using. And so it took us a long time of working through that block to understand that it didn't matter about the product. And, and you know, I, I'm not going to sit in a woman's shoes of, you know, who's aging and going, oh my God, I definitely need that product. 
But what she needed to understand was that she had a great product and a great concept, but that there were choices out there for her. And she'd already started the business. So it wasn't like her making the decision not to go ahead. But what was interesting is we did this exercise for about two hours and was a part of a mastermind group in the, in the academy where everybody, and there were women and men in the class, uh, and, and, and they all put in their, their 10 cents worth, but it got to a point where she suddenly understood that even Google was her competitor. And, and uh, you know, we, we all hate and respect Google all at the same time. <laughs> but, and, 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 and when I raised Google, she said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, the person who's going, I can't afford to, to pay for your, you know, $100 a facial, I'm going to Google facial for older women and it's going to tell me to take a half a cup of vinegar and body whatever the other ingredients are and I, that, that's not a, a real recipe by the way um and and cucumbers and put them on my eyes and it won't give me the exact same thing but it will give me a home facial okay mm-hmm. and she said yeah i've never thought about it like that i said so that person who's googling that and and searching for that is still using that as a competitor to your product so you have to understand that that's part of your marketing and you have to understand how you then put out videos potentially because that's what people are looking for video content about you know the, the you know the before and after of your product and how that's better than the 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 homemade facial but even understanding that some people won't be able to afford your 100 dollars for your facial mm-hmm. and so it was a great exercise for her and she was so focused on her niche and suddenly her eyes went, oh, yes, if I just actually target a little bit wider and suddenly her business took off. Just by understanding where she was positioned and understanding that just by tweaking that positioning, it opened up another 10% of a market. That's really interesting. I think, um, you know, that art of differentiation is so important and it's something that we've been talking about a lot recently at SB Pace so much so that um, Corey actually reminded me like hey maybe we need to write four blogs in a row about being different so that's not different Julie <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know finding figuring out how you're different but I also I think it's really important that um, first off I don't you know, I, I don't think it's wise for anybody to compete on price. Me personally, I just, I think when you compete on price, you know, you're just constantly in a battle and there's really no value in being the second lo- cheapest option, right? So you could be the most expensive option, but now you're working with a very, very specific market when you're going out in that particular direction with price. But regardless of what you're offering, if you can demonstrate like value. So sure there are, you know, millions of people who can't afford the facial that she's that she's offering up, but if she can offer value to people who can't afford it by showing them here are some things you can do at home that closely resemble it, she's going to build a really loyal following that eventually might turn those people into customers when they can afford it because they're going to remember what she taught them. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I've always questioned not all, I've always questioned, I've always been intrigued by the idea with professional speakers. And when I started speaking, a, a, a mentor of mine based out of Singapore said to me, I said to him, do you have full speeches? So a full keynote speech that you've given to 10,000 people. Do you have the full speech on your YouTube channel? And he said, absolutely. And I said, why? And he said, 
because people don't want to watch me for an hour on YouTube for a start. But it demonstrates how good I am. And that wasn't an ego comment, by the way. That was just, you know, he used it as marketing. But he said he said a few things interestingly there. He said, and if they do want to watch the whole thing, that's great. When I do it every time live, I'm going to add different nuances for the audience. And so there is a vibe and a, a difference of doing it live. He said, but more importantly, I've controlled the content. I have, I have put it out in the way I want to do it. I've made sure it's the right quality to represent my brand. He says, but I'm giving them value, which they're then going to come out and seek me for to add more value. And I think that's what people forget about, you know, is that, is that just by giving content and giving content. So, so my mortgage business, I'll use that as an example. Um, in 2003, I was approached by a property sales organization to come and do a seminar for them. Uh, they were visiting our town, our, our city, Perth, and could I do a seminar for them on how to invest and how to build a mortgage, how to build a property portfolio? And I stood up. Now I've been a, a, a speaking since I was 14, and my father took me to Toastmasters, and so. It's been something that's ingrained in me for a long time, being able to stand up on stage. And I stood up on stage and I did a 20-minute talk for them off the cuff on finance. And the CEO of the organization turned around to me and he said, he's not had a financial guy do a talk like that ever in the history of their business. And would I like to do a national roadshow with them? Because I explained it in, in not banker terms, but in human terms. And I'd never thought about myself doing it like that, but that was his feedback. But that one thing that I did, um, I didn't get paid for it, but it generated me over the next 12 years, a billion, $1 billion of mortgages. Wow. Okay. And was I competing on price? Not at all. I was competing on the fact that I could explain things to to, to Mr. and Mrs. who were in their jobs with two pay slips and got their fortnightly pay or their weekly pay, I could explain to them how to build a property portfolio that would set them up for retirement in 20 years' time. But I could explain it in simple terms to them. And so I positioned myself through that, and of the three billion that my mortgage business has done, over a billion has been done from me being on stage and just taking that opportunity in 2003 to stand up and speak about things. So, so sometimes you've got to just, you know, grab these opportunities when they throw themselves out at you. And, 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 and you made a comment earlier about competing on price. Look at the airline wars pre COVID. Mm -hmm. There's a classic example of why you don't compete on price because the person with the, the deepest pockets just has to, tweak their price by five dollars you know five dollars cheaper for a particular you know particular link at particular destination and people will buy those tickets because it's become a commoditized product you know and then pre again all this is pre-covid because airlines is just a horrible industry to be in right oh, now just and, in general you know, horrible the, industry <laughs> well but look at the majavi desert in the majavi desert there are thousands of airplanes and, and it's been that have been parked there for the last 18 months not only american um, planes but lots of international carriers as well for some reason it's the least damaging to their engines and 
whatever else. And so they've all parked them in the desert in, mm. in the US. Yes, yeah, the, the lack of humidity there. Yeah. Okay. I knew there was a reason. I just didn't know what the, 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 the reason was. Um, but the other thing is that people overcomplicate lives. And I spoke about, you know, being simple and diving in. So, so going back to the mortgage business, one of the key things that I tell every single person, and I know it's a theme of your podcast, is, is how do you simplify your life? How do you make things? How do you get big wins from simple things that you can do in your business? What can you do in your business to make things simple? And so if you think about the processing of mortgages, right, it's, it's a, this is not going to get technical because I know about mortgages. It could be at any process that is customer-driven in your business. You know, I speak to, to, to Julie and Corey on Monday and I say, great, um, you know, we've spoken to the bank and we hope to have an answer on your mortgage on Thursday. <clears throat> so until we came up with a system in my office, my assistants would have 40 or 50 files on their desk every day. And that was their workload. And they'd start at the top file and go, oh, that one's too complicated and put it in the bottom of the pile. And so the complicated stuff got shoved to the bottom and the easy stuff got dealt with. The problem with that was there was a lack of communication with clients and also the staff themselves psychologically walked into the office in the morning and saw this mountain. They saw this mountain on their desk every day. And so I was sitting there one day and I said, let's take that mountain of 50 files or 40 files and divide it into five piles of eight, right? So five, five eights or five tens, doesn't matter, but between eight and 10 files per day. And I said to the team, can you manage five to 10 files a day? And they said, yeah, absolutely. That's easy for us to do. I said, great. So I went and I bought some bookshelves and, and with five tiers and I marked them off as Monday to Friday. And I said to them, right, on Monday, you phoned Julie and Corey and you told them, you phoned the bank and then you phoned them or emailed them and said, great, I spoke to bank ABC and your loan will be processed on Thursday. I said, do you have to worry about that person between Monday and Thursday? unless they email you with a query or something, but generally you don't have to react to them. So physically take that file and put it on a shelf called Thursday, and then it's out of your vision, it's off your desk, and your workload is suddenly a whole lot less. And so I call this my Monday to Friday system. And so after a week, they had five shelves next to them with each one with 10 files or eight files on it. They'd walk in on Monday morning They'd go to the Monday shelf. They'd take 10 files, not 50 files off the shelf. So they were in a better mood because they saw their workload as achievable in a day. They, their process was simplified. In fact, the process was so simplified that in front of each person was a board with five columns on it, marked Monday to Friday. And they would write under the Thursday column, because I used you as the example, they'd write Julie and Corey under the Thursday column. And then they'd forget about that client until Thursday. And so it worked it, 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 today, even with a full CRM system and five and a half thousand clients in that business, every one of my team still uses a whiteboard next to their desk to manage their workflow because it allows them to A, and, and let's say that on Tuesday, you call them with a query, they look on their board and they go, oh, Julian Corey's on the Thursday pile. They go to their shelf, they get the file, they bring it back to their desk and they deal with your query on that day. And then it goes back into the system. And that, that was the simplest system. It took about six months to evolve. 
But it, I thought about it in lots of other businesses, and I've helped lots of other businesses simplify their processes exactly like that. By finding out what's the, how do you make your team more productive by not scaring them off? And it, it came out of running, actually. So, so I, I run not well, but I run and I still play sport. Um, I played um, what they call veterans, over 50s hockey. That's not what you guys call hockey in the US. It's not that thing uh -huh. on the ice with a puck. It's on grass with a ball. It's called field hockey. I know they play a little bit of it in the US. But, um, but when I'm running for hockey, one of the running coaches that I had years ago taught me when you get to the bottom of the hill to look at your feet, not the top of the mountain. And so when you're running up the mountain, you watch your feet. And eventually by watching your feet, you get to the top of the mountain because it's just one step in front of the other. If you look at the top of the mountain, you get put off. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an entrepreneurial problem. A lot of entrepreneurs, as you said, they see the top of the mountain and they go, oh my God, it's so hard to climb. They don't understand that if they take one step ahead, they eventually get to the top of the mountain. Yeah, and I love the 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 example of you know the, how the whiteboard's still in place and simplifying because everybody wants to jump on a new piece of technology and and all of that when you've already got all the tools that you need right mm -hmm. there. You just need a simple process. But we are out of time. So before we go, though, Rail, can you give everybody uh, just let them know uh, where they can find you and, and tell them uh, where they can find your book and yes. listen to your podcast. Sure. So rail at railbricker.com. It's easy. The website is railbricker.com. Um, there's a if they go to railbricker.com slash free book, one word, they will be able to get a free download of my book called Dive In. Dive In was published in 2018. It is um, about 30 years of entrepreneurship on two different continents, two listed companies. And it is my story. It is about the subtitle of the book is called Lessons I've Learned, Lessons Learned Since Business School. And that's exactly what it is. It's I went to business school. Um, in, in 1988, and it's the lessons 30 years later that I published the book of what I've learned being an entrepreneur in those 30 years. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for giving that to our listeners. We know they're going to love that. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And um, Rail, thanks for being here. We really appreciate it um, and sharing um, some of your lessons that you've learned along your journey. And all of the information that Rail just gave, including how to get that free download, will be available in our show notes. And if you want to work with us, go ahead and reach out to us. Um, you can send us an, an email at info at sbpace.com or just fill out the contact form on our website or, hey, you could even book a call. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. We've got LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and a YouTube channel. And you can find every piece of information you ever need to know about us on our website, sbpace.com. Exactly. You should also subscribe to our podcast and go ahead and get it on instant download. Then you'll always have our podcast available no matter where you are, or what you're doing. Oh, like us and give us a review as well. We really love feedback and we appreciate all of the reviews we can get on the podcast. And if there's any topics that you want to hear about, reach out and let us know. We'll do our best to get that topic covered. Don't forget to buy a copy of our book, Seriously Now What? A Small Business Guide to Disaster Preparedness. It's a number one bestseller on Amazon. We have a digital workbook download. And if you've already purchased and read it, please go out there, like it, and give us a review. 
I'm Julie. And I'm Corey. And this was BizQuick, helping small businesses across America and now Australia. <laughs>